Thanks for joining Cornerstone for our message of the week. We hope you'll be inspired and encouraged. To connect with our church family and to watch our services live, download our app today by texting Sparks Will Fly as one word, app to 77977. That's Sparks Will Fly app to 77977 or by visiting us online at sparkswillfly.cc. you um, find 1st John chapter 4 I've got a lot a lot of scripture I want to read this morning may feel good in your soul. All right. I'm going to do my, uh, I'm going to do my best to preach. I want to stay right where I've, uh, where we've been by the fear and things like that. I'm just, um, this really is not a message that I've studied to come preach as much as it is just my own personal journey where I've just been hanging out. But I want to read uh, 1 John chapter 4. Starting in verse 17, says, God is love. We visited this a good bit this year. How many knows you got to just drive, uh, sometimes you just got to drive, uh, just keep repeatedly washing yourself in it, you know? I was uh, reading something the other day, yesterday, that me and Catherine took the boys, and we went to the Gulf, and we were fishing, and kids did some scalloping, just, and so you can tell that you can look at someone that goes to the beach, or goes fishing or something that does something outside a lot and you can say man they got a suntan or something they've been in the sun you know and um i remember when pastor parsley came here he he grabbed me when he went and i was he said my god you're tanned <laughs> that's what happens when you stay outside they just stay and um and i was reading something this week and a guy was uh liking prayer under getting a suntan but he called it sun s-o-n bathing and when we sunbathe, how many knows we start to look like him? We begin to feel like him. And um, so there's nothing wrong, nothing wrong with uh, repetition. We need it. It takes a while to get some things ingrained into us. And this morning what I want to do is do some extracting of some things and do some adding of some things, okay? And so uh, I am a person that needs a lot of... Uh, Extraction. So it says, God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God. I need the help to preach this morning, Lord.
God is love and those who are living in love are living in God. By living in God, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fiercely face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. Love never brings fear. Love never brings fear. For fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. You see this, when we hang out in love, what is happening, what is happening when you sunbathe and you are hanging out in love, the love of God, it is driving, it is pushing, it is extracting fear from our hearts. Love's perfection drives fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love of God first demonstrated to us. This is a quote. This is a, a just a, a line that I've written down out of one of Brennan Manning's books. Uh, he has become a favorite author of mine. He says, For a disciple of Jesus, the process of spiritual growth is a gradual I said this word a hundred times and now I can't even hardly pronounce it. Help me right here, love. I'm kind of lost a little bit. I can't even have free my hand right. Repudiation. Thank you, Lord. I always say if you can't find the answer to prayer, ask your wife or Google or Siri. You with me? What did you say it was, love? Repudiation. For a disciple of Jesus, the process of spiritual growth is a gradual repudiation of the unreal image of God and increasing openness to the true and living God. You see, God said in his words that we should have no other gods before him. But the church has a lot of gods before him. A lot of false image gods. Come on, somebody that's been preached from the pulpits of America. And the preachers has told us that that's what God's really like. And so I've been asking the Lord, Lord, help me to tear down every image I got in my heart that's not who you truly are. And so he says, for the first place of spiritual growth is to begin to tear down those false ideals that we have, beat, we have made God uh, I, I, to be God. So let's look at this in John 17. You okay? We're trying to be perfected in love. We're trying to grow in love. I'm not a guy that when I talk about fear, I mean, I don't, I guess that uh, I never realized how strong fear had really had gotten up into my life until really earlier this year. But I was sitting one day with a businessman, 
and we were talking and we were in his office and I was about to do some business with this guy and he was telling me about he wanted to purchase this track of land and build him a new house. But he said, I always, he said, I always fear this. He said, I always fear that, you know, what if some of my clients leave and I would lose the house? How many knows that we can't live in the what ifs church? Hear me? The what ifs we can't live in. And the first thing we got to tear down a lot of the church, one of the false gods, we believe God is an Indian giver. We believe God gives us something good and because we can't, because we have a bad year, because we have a bad week, that God retracts what he gives us. How many knows that God is not an Indian giver? That's probably not even correct terms. You know what I'm saying? That's probably wrong to say in today's world. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't give us something. He doesn't toy with us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And the first thing that you've got to know is that your father wants to do good to you. You won't even believe that you're a candidate if you don't really believe that God wants to do good for you. But friend, can I tell you this? That God's never had a bad thought about you on your worst day. That God never has thought a bad thought about you. And the problem we have is because all this exists in our own heart. We begin to put on God the way we feel about ourselves. But how many knows that God is other? I'm just trying to help us. The word holy means he is other. If you're unhappy with yourself, friend, I can tell you that God's not unhappy with you this morning. You say, well, Pastor John, you're just preaching grace. That's the only message in the Bible. Listen to this. John 17, you okay? Verse 3. I'm helping myself. I'm not helping nobody. Eternal life means to know. John 17, verse 3, eternal life. Eternal life. People say, well, you know that God's going to give us eternal life. Eternal life is when I go to heaven. How many knows this? Eternal life began when you became a believer in Jesus. Eternal life begins right here. Look at this. Eternal life means to know and experience you. To know and experience you. A lot of us know facts about God, but we don't really know God. A lot of Christians go to church their whole life and know a lot of facts about God but really don't know Him. But eternal life is that you may know and experience Him, church. He wants us to experience Him of who He is. If you ever get experiential knowledge of who God is, no one can talk you out of it. But if someone can talk you into it, they can talk you out of it. The reason... He said eternal life means to know and experience you as the only true God. And to know and experience Jesus Christ. That's eternal life. To know God. How many want to know Him? That is a cry in my heart. I want to know Him. I long for the day that my children say, when I looked at my dad, it was the same as looking like God and looking at God. You all right? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at the time building one truth upon another. (laughs) 
But to us, living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son. This is the whole reason why he came, friend. He came so that we would not miss his goodness. He came so that we could understand just how much he's for us. Man, when I see people, and there's people going through the most, I mean, unbelievable things right now. You know, when we talked about the fear of lack last week, we talked about the Lord blessing us. There's people just trying to figure out how to put groceries on the table. How many, I, I, I mean, we got to understand that God is for us. But listen to this. But to us living in these last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things and in in all time. Look at this. The son, Jesus. Jesus that you read about in your Gospels. Because I read a lot of stuff in the Gospels that was different than the way I was raised up. There are still prophets. You can get on the Elijah lit. There's prophetic voices out there today talking about how God is going to rain down His fiery judgment in California because of the homosexual activity and because of what happens in Silicon Valley. What I came to tell you this morning is I believe that God has already rained down His judgment. And He rained down His judgment in His Son, Jesus Christ, friend. Come on, somebody. And He put Him on the cross. If one thing, if we're ever going to see revival come, the church is going to have to drop the judgments. Come on, somebody. We've got to have to drop the judgments, how we judge ourselves and how we judge other people because the Bible says that God was this, Jesus was this radiant expression of God in the earth. And the Bible says that Jesus was in the earth reconciling the world back into himself by not counting their sins against them, by not holding what they had against them. That's good news. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. So when we read things in the gospels like I'm fixing to read, some of these things are like, I cannot believe this. How? Because we are, we are justice people. How many believe that? I, I'm a real justice guy. I could have been a lawyer. I like to see justice. You think about the cases that come on like O.J. Simpson or Casey, what was it, Casey Anthony or whatever, and the whole world's watching because we're ready for them to drop the hammer. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't take, just tune into the news at night. One side is against the other. Now, we're so divided in the nation politically and things like this, but but one side believes that they got the, the right to fix all, and the other side believes that they got the right to fix all. How many knows that they can, neither side ain't going to help us much? Only the Lord's going to help us, friend. Are you with me now? But Jesus is the exact expression of God's true nature. So when I read the parables that Jesus has in the Gospels, this is showing me God's true expression, the way he feels about me. I don't, I don't feel like I'm doing it justice. Maybe you're soaking it in. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. Church, I feel the Lord in this room so strong this morning. 
I believe your life can be changed if I don't say another word just with her playing over you right here this morning. The Lord's in this room. He is so for us. Oh, man. Matthew chapter 20. Look at this. Verse 1. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation this morning. I should have told you that, but if you've been here for a while, you've figured that out by now. This will help you understand. Look at how he writes. He said, this will help you understand the way kingdom, the way heaven's kingdom operates. So he's fixing to give us a parable to take us down a pathway to bring us into understanding how the, the kingdom of heaven is going to operate. This is one picture of it. Look at this. There was, once, there was once a wealthy landowner who went out at daybreak to hire all the laborers he could find to work at his vineyard. After agreeing to pay, pay them the standard day's wage, he put them to work. Then at nine o'clock as he was passing through the town square, he found others standing around, with, around without work. He told them, come work for me in my vineyard and I'll pay you a fair wage. So off they went to join others. And he did the same thing at noon and again at three o'clock, making the same arrangements as he did with others. Hoping to finish his harvest that day, he went to the town square again at five o'clock and found more who were idle. So he said to them, why have you been here all day without work? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, go and join my crew and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard went to his foreman and said, call in all the laborers, line them up and pay them the same wages. Look at this, starting with the most recent ones I've hired and finishing with the ones who worked all day. When those hired late in the day came to be paid, they were given a full day's wage and when those had been hired first came to be paid they would convince that they would receive more look at this but everyone was paid the standard wage realized realized what had happened when they realized what had happened they were offended look at this they were offended complained to the landowner saying you're treating us unfairly They've, they've only worked for one, one hour while we've slaved and sweated all day under the scorching sun. You've made them equal to us. I want to tell you this, that I believe also in this parable is a prophetic picture of what's going to happen in the days that you and I are living in. Some of these anarchists and things that I'll call them that because they're just lawless people out in the streets just causing chaos you with me that the news is showing are you with me now some of them you're going to see as the greatest prophets and the greatest preachers that's ever graced the church come on if you believe that God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh let me tell you something there's people that's going to be on the stages of America that we would have never thought would have had the opportunity but what you got to understand is God doesn't see people the way you and I see them we see people as too far gone we see people as undeserving we see people that deserve to be punished but God never looks at us that way that is good news church come on somebody and one thing that I love about this that I believe some of the greatest prophets are in the clubs tonight. 
They're not going to have to be emptied of all of that religion that's come from the church. They're just going to have an encounter like Todd White who was a heroin addict but met Jesus face to face. Come on, somebody. And it changed his life. I'm talking about knowing the God right here in, in Jesus that came, Emmanuel, God with us. Now in this parable, let's finish it up. They've only worked one hour while we've slaved and sweated all day under the scorching sun. You've made them equal to us. The landowner replied, friends, I'm not being unfair. I'm doing exactly what I said. Didn't you agree to work for the standard wage? If I want to give those who've only worked for an hour equal pay, what does that matter to you? I don't have the, I do have, don't I have the right to do what I want to with what is mine? Why should my generosity make you jealous of them? Now you can understand what I mean when I said that the first will end up last and the last will end up being first. Everyone is bided, but few are chosen. Now look at this parable right here. If that doesn't offend you, friend, I don't know what else will. It's talking about a group of people that were working all day and then at the very end, some stragglers who goofed off all day long came in at the very end. And when they showed up the last minute or the last hour to work, when the landowner came in to give them the pay, he gave them the same amount as he gave the ones that came in all day. It's not a parable about how hard we work. It's a parable about a gracious God who is abundant in grace. God that's good friend because I don't know about you there's times that I started out great during the day but I fell by sometime during the day during the heat of the day but I'm so thankful that he doesn't discount us from the reward because we didn't make it through the heat of the sun come on somebody it's all about an extravagant gracious God I didn't hear that when I was coming up in church I was told of the God who is full of judgment and who is full of wrath. But I'm telling you, this is the reason why we as the church don't have compassion and reach out to our neighbor. Because we see them living below the standards that we think they should live. And somehow we think because we've got in and took a good shower and cleaned up a little bit that we're better than them. Let's read on. Go to Luke. You know where I'm fixing to go, the 15th chapter. If this ain't the most scandalous story I've ever read, I don't know what is. Then Jesus said, I'm in verse 11. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons, The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? This was such a slap in this culture to the father who was you were going to ask for your inheritance. Basically, let me interpret what he was saying. Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. This is what he told him. I wish you were dead. I'm not willing to wait till you die, so I wish you were dead to me so that you can go and give me what's mine. This is a total slap in the face. Y'all right? I think it's time you give me the share of your estate that belongs to me. So the father went ahead and distributed among who? 
the two sons, not just one. It's amazing how we were growing up in church. I only heard of one person getting the money, but they were both given money. They were both given a share. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew up. He grew up for there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have had all the food, who have had all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. How many knows that this is a benefit of living in the father's house? Come on, church, do you see this? Look at this. This is a picture of your father that I'm preaching about this morning. This is a picture of God the Father. There's no lack in his house. Church, there's no lack in his house. I'm not talking about God wants us all to, to be in Mercedes. And sometimes when we preach about being blessed, people misjudge. But let me tell you, the, the, all I can say is from my own heart. For me, the part of being blessed is to be able to lift someone else up. That's what I love doing. That's the reason why. I remember one time my dad, I might have shared this story, but he said when he was a little boy, he could hear and my grandfather and grandmother talking to him. My grandmother said, she said, she said, we don't have nothing because you give everything away. He said, well, we probably have what we have because we give everything away. You with me? So I, I live with the same thing. I give everything away. We went fishing yesterday and I realized I give Steve all my stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Gave him rod, all kind of stuff. But I've reaped a hundredfold off of that. I could not, I could not complain about that. But to me, a part of being blessed, it's not living big. It's not driving big. It's the ability to be able to lift someone else up. This is the whole purpose God sent Jesus. Are you with me now? This is what true honor is. Honor is not when we get up here and read some great accolades over Cleve Edwards. Honor is about reaching down into the pit and elevating someone up to the same level you are even though they don't deserve it. That's what Jesus did for us, friend. He reached down into the pig pen of our lives and he elevated us to the same place he's sitting at. That is a picture of what honor looks like. And if we want to learn how to honor society, we got to look at people who we don't agree with, don't look like us, don't act like us, and don't think like us, and we honor them not because they deserve it, friend, because we didn't deserve it. We honor them because they are created in the image of God, and we are honoring that image in that person. We are all image bearers, black, white, yellow, Hispanic, come on somebody, Democrat, Republican, we are all image bearers of Him, and we honor that part. So in this picture he's blown it he's lived reckless he didn't seek counsel out in his life he said dad I got it figured out and I'm fixing to go show you how to live and he blew it now he says I'm going to go back to the father's house 
Because in the Father's house, even the hired servants, we're not even talking about sons and daughters here. We're talking about hired servants. There's no lack with them. If there's no lack with a hired servant, how much more is there no lack with the son and the daughter? Now let's look what he says. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger? Feeding these pigs and eating their slop. I want to go back home to my father's house and I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. Same thing we do every time we mess up. Somebody said, man, he must be goofed it up this week. Actually, I've been a pretty good boy this week. That's what's wrong with us here in the South, church. I'm just trying to be honest. Our goodness keeps us from truly experiencing Him because we think we're all right. But I'm telling you, when we learn how to live in deep need of Him, it's amazing how much changes. So this son's blown it. He's living out here. He's coming back. Now he says this, if I can just get back to my father's house, I'm just going to now, I guess I'll be, he'll probably let me be an employee. And if he lets me be an employee, at least I'm going to be taken care of. At least he's going to give me some, a place to stay. He's going to get me to have a little bunk house or whatever. But I can never go back to where I was. I can never go back to where I was because of what I've always done. How many knows that you serve a God of restoration? How many believes that God is a God of restoration? Well, the law of restoration never restores something the way it was. It always restores it better. So here's the thing. I've watched people that fall away and they come back and they they try to do so much recompense to try to earn their way back where they were at in God. But here's the reality. When you say, God, I'm lost, he he reaches down where you're at. Come on, somebody. And when he picks you back up, he already made up the ground for you, friend. There's nothing else for you to make recompense of. That is great news. Somebody said, well, I'm just trying to get back where I was. Why you want to get back? God's done moved on down the road. We're not trying to get back to nothing. All right, so think about this. Y'all, this is, a, this, is a, this is a scandalous story here. This kid's blown it. Now, how many of you, I had a loving dad, but he didn't mind beating the tar out of you to show you something. Now, how many of you have been ready to pull up in the yard? He's going back. He's rehearsed his story. Now, I know I can never be worthy to ever be called a son, but I'm going to at least go for an employee. I'm lower the bar to at least maybe I can be an employee. So he pulls up, expecting to see an angry father. He's expecting to see the God that the church of the South has preached, but yet he can't find that image of God. 
He finds the image of a father that is looking out over the pasture every day, longing for the return of his son. I can't get no help in here this morning. That's all right. He, he, he doesn't find that image that's painted up, that's been preached through the Pentecostal church. I'm going to get myself in trouble. He looks, and when he returns, he finds the image of a father standing on the porch looking out, and when the father sees him, the Bible says that the father ran to him. Come on, y'all. How many knows when it says, draw closer to me and I'll draw closer to you? That is not through action. That's through the heart when the heart is turned towards God. I love this. And how many remembers Nebuchadnezzar when God put him as a beast in the field with his feathers? But the Bible says, not when his, the Bible says when his eyes look toward heaven, his splendor returned. Come on, somebody. All God is looking for is the tenderness of your heart being turned towards him. Friend, listen, he knows that we're messed up. He knows that we got a ton of issues and problems, but what he is after is the heart. He just wants your heart. If he will get your heart, he will get your actions. So he goes, look at this. So now he's seeing him. So the father raced out to meet him, swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with tender love. Man, I love this passion translation. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. The father interrupted him, interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his service, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe. I'll place it on his shoulders, bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. Look at this. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. He was once lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Think about this. We get a call. And some of our closest friends and said, we are throwing this great party. We have, we have spared no expense in the party that we're throwing. We have actually had to go to the bank and take out a loan for the party that we're throwing. We're throwing Johnny a party. And you hear of all the things. I mean, they've gotten, they, they've spared no expense. They got the finest catering. They got the greatest musical band and you pull up and there's, I mean, the limos out in the yard and you're thinking, my God, what kind of accomplishment has Johnny done? What kind? I mean, he must have graduated from Harvard with a law degree. He's graduated from Yale. And then we find out what has Johnny done? Well, Johnny's been out drunk for the last six months. He took and blown everything that I have ever earned. He blown over half of it. Folks, this is what is happening in this story. We would look at them and say, what kind of lunatic is this that they would celebrate? He's not celebrating. The story is not about celebrating the failures of the son. The story is about selling, celebrating the extravagant mercy of a loving father. 
make no mistake about it, sin always kills, friend. Are you with me now? It always destroys. Sin goes down like ice cream, but it sets on the stomach like rat poisoning. Come on. It always brings death. This is not a story about the celebrating the sin of a child. Are you with me? But it is about the celebration of an extravagant love and mercy of a loving father. Now, anytime grace is poured out in abundantly, it brings an offense. And it always offends the religious crowd. It always offends the ones who have another image of Jesus. All right? I'm almost done. Extravagant worship and extravagant grace. That's two huge offenders inside the religious church. Why, she gotta, why does she got to run across the front like that? Why does she got to wave a flag? Because let me just give you, t- those that have been forgiven of much, love much. When, Mary, when, the, when the woman with the, anoint, with the costly oil broke it over the feet of Jesus, they were offended in that room at what happened. But the one that had been forgiven, come on somebody, of much, love much. You can always tell the ones in the room that know what I'm talking about that has experienced the great grace of God. So now, the other brother, he's kept everything that that he thought was valuable to his father. Let me tell you something. The things that we think are valuable to God are not valuable to God. Bible reading. I'm getting in trouble right here. Bible reading, fasting, all of those are great, but they don't impress him. How much you gave in the offering don't impress him. He owns a cattle of a thousand hills. And the only time he ever stopped about what showed up in the offering plate was not a large sum of money. It was only a few mics. Come on, somebody. And it was a widow who gave out of lack, not out of abundance. And so now this brother comes and he sees all of the extravagance happening back home. You know when he pulled up, he had to feel like all of this was for him. Because he had kept it all straight. Let let me just say this. I'm going to go back to what I said to sew this loophole up. If you read the Bible because it's what you must do, you're not getting nothing. But if you read the Bible and your approach to the Bible is, Father, I I just want to hang out with you. That's what it's for, sunbathing. But I believe the Father got just as much pleasure out of me yesterday watching my three boys set hook after hook and enjoying my time with my family. I believe that brought just the same amount of joy as it did the hours upon hours I spent in the Word this week. We can't even believe that. So therefore, when it comes to the will of God, we have this mysterious, we have this thing like it's some mysterious, mysterious 
things that we try to find. What is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God? Let me tell you a crazy story. It's found in the dedication of, of the temple with Solomon. And Solomon gets up to dedicate the work. He begins to dedicate the temple unto God. And he says this, this was never in the heart of God. This was never God's heart to build this extravagant temple. It was in the heart of my father, David. David had found friendship with God where it wasn't about finding the will for his life anymore. God just got involved with what David wanted to do and God allowed him to do it. Come on, church. This is a level of friendship that is available and he was under an old covenant. But he's a picture of a New Testament believer. So I'm telling you with your life, instead of wondering if this is the will of God, is this the right woman to marry or whatever, I can tell you this, when you find the right woman, you'll know it's the right woman. You don't have to ask nobody. Pastor Chris, who comes to preach for me, every person I dated, I took in his office and said, you believe this is the right one. But I remember when I boarded a plane, I cried all the way to Amsterdam, Holland on an international flight, and I looked over at Dan, who's married to my cousin. I said, when I get back, I said, I'm marrying that girl. He said, man, you ain't getting married. I said, I'm telling you, I'm marrying that girl. Two months later, I did marry her. So let's look back. So... Now the older brother, he's coming back. He, had, he pulls the ranger under the shelter. He had been out taking care of the last little bit of the sheep. And he's coming back to the house. He hears the songs being cranked up at the house. He sees, I mean, he smells the smoke just billowing out of the barbecue going. And he's thinking, you know what? Dad's about to celebrate me. I've kept all these things in line. I've never once, I never once sold him out. I've never once brought him any shame. All these years I've spent right here, faithful in his house. I've been tithing. I've taught Sunday school. I mean, I've done everything. I've volunteered on every committee. Come on, some. I, I've, I've neglected my family for the last 15 years. I've just been a great disciple. And look here, he's taking notice of what's going on. He has done me a barbecue. And he pulls up to the house and he puts his boots over on the boot rack and he eases up onto the porch and he asks one of the workers. He notices one of his lead foremans and he says, what's going on? He said, your dad has thrown all this abundance for your brother. He's come home. And immediately, the pain of rejection goes into his heart. Immediately, just like us, he's trying to he's trying to compute how in the world can Dad act like this when this sorry joker has went out. Come on, y'all, blown his blown our money, disgraced our name. Come on, y'all, don't act like we don't live in the South. All you got is your name. What happened is he could never compute in that mind how in the world, let me say this, living with that father every day, working alongside of that father every day, and he never saw a glimpse of a father like that until that moment. And what happened is he got offended. An offense entered into his heart. The story's not about, again, I'm almost done. The story's not about celebrating the failure of a wayward son. But the story is about celebrating the extravagant grace and tenderness of a loving father.
And how much more when you made a mistake would you run into the arms of Jesus if you believed you was going to be received like that? Friend, I've just been at it long enough. This ain't my first rodeo. I've seen people catch on fire for God and they burn like a rocket. It goes back to the parable of the farmer, those that, those that, uh, the, the parable of the sower, those that fall on certain soil. You know what I'm saying? I've seen the ones on, on hard soil and they burn like a rocket for three months and then they go fall of those that are in addiction or whatever and they, may, and they stumble and they fall for a weekend. What happens when that stumble and that fall happens, that voice rises up against him and says, I knew, I knew you didn't have it to start with. Maybe I need to talk to a crowd that's less perfect than this. But what happens is that voice begins to come and it begins to be loud in that ear and says, you never had it to start with. You're so displeasing unto God. How many people could we help if they realized that he's a God of a second chance? He's a God of a third chance. He's a God of a fourth chance and he's a God of a fifth chance. All you gotta do, friend, is keep getting back up. Come on, somebody. I, I, I was seeing someone that... I, he don't mind me saying his name, but Joey, when I was at the house of grace, he said, I believe I got it this time. And I looked dead in his eyes and I said, I believe, Joy, that you've always had it. Come on, somebody. You just got to be reminded of who you are. You don't get it and lose it, friend. Come on, somebody. When you get it, you get it. You just got to be reminded of who you are. He is not a fickle God like we've made him out to be. That one day he's for us and then tomorrow he's against me. Can I tell you this? Tomorrow when you get up, he will be for you. Tuesday when you get up he will be for you Wednesday he will be for you my God I feel the Holy Ghost you've always had it you just got to be reminded of who you are you just got to be reminded that you're still God's son even though you're in the pig pen you're still God's son get back up and get back to daddy's house I'm almost done Go to John chapter 1. And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. I'm talking about do we know the God of Jesus? And so the living expression became a man and lived among us. And we gazed upon the splendor of his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father overflowing with tender mercy and truth. How did he come, Emmett? He came overflowing with tender mercy. What does God desire for the church to be? Overflowing with what? Tender mercy. Tell you a story. Grant, I remember this when he was a little boy. Had this guy that lived down the road from us. He come and was beating on my door like at nine o'clock one night. 
fixing to throw some fodder for the internet world. <laughs> he, he come down and he said, John, he said, I'm not going to lie. He said, I'm two-thirds drunk. He said, but I'm out of money. He said, if I just had $20, I'd be all the way drunk. That's what he said, didn't he? I go in my wallet, give him $20. What kind of preacher are you? Knowing he's going to take your money. Listen, this is fodder for the internet world. This can give me some hate mail. I love it, though. I just read the Bible, and Jesus said, beware when people speak good of you. All men speak well of you. You got to have a few haters. If you ain't got no haters, you ain't doing nothing. <laughs> so did you know what happened? Let me tell you this and finish the story. He, I'm sure he took my $20, and he went and finished it off, okay? Got him out of my hair. Two days later, he's at my house crying. This is what he said. He said, I'm going to go. There's a church that was down the road from us, a little country Baptist church. And he said, next Sunday, he cried. He said, I'll be there. I'll be there on the front row. See, he's going to try to make, he's going to try to make it right with God. I'm going to go down there on the front row of the church, and I'm going I'm to pay God his due so that maybe I can overcome this hurdle in my life. But you know just by the simple goodness of God, that man overcome that 30-year addiction to alcohol in his life, and he's free from it today. That's, that's, that's what we do in the South. How many funerals have I preached where, where, where the guy before me goes, or, or you hear this, he was a good man? Just because you're good don't mean nothing. Come on, y'all. That, that, he's a good man. So, so a good man just inherits heaven? That's not what the Bible says. Just cause you the, the reason that's the reason why you struggle with God is because you're good. When you see your goodness as the way the Bible says, we're all undeserving in this room. Let me just say this: when you ask the question, how many sins do you got to commit to become a sinner? People will say one. Oh, you got, if you commit one sin, you're a sinner. That is the incorrect answer. The Bible is zero because the Bible says you're born into sin because of what your great-grandfather Adam did. But it did not leave us hopeless because one man offense, sin entered into the world. By one man's obedience, righteousness entered into the world. Come on, y'all. We got to land this plane. I'm almost done. So what did we, what did we, what, what did we behold? The living expression became a man. The living expression became a man. And he, and he lived among us, and we gazed upon the splendor of his glory. Look at this. The glory of the one and only who, who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy. Now, let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm almost done. Ephesians chapter 3. Y'all right? How many's getting anything? I feel good. Let's look. 
Let's look at verse 14. So I kneel humbly in awe before the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the perfect Father of every father and child in heaven and on the earth. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory in favor until supernatural strengths, strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Father, let this flood our heart. God, flood our heart. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you. And the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. God, this is where he wants us, friend. Listen to me. Rest is not found in the absence of what you do. You say, well, pastor, you know, he just, pastor just needs a sabbatical. He needs three days rest. I will not get any rest like that. Rest is only found in the love of God. When you reach that place, it don't matter what you're doing. You've entered into the rest. You can be working 70 hours a week and be in his rest. Or you could be laying at the house doing nothing, laying on the couch and not be in his rest. His rest is learning to live from this place I'm preaching about that you are supernaturally desired. God desires you. He likes you. He don't just love you. He likes you. You're the apple of his eye. This is learning to live in his rest and his love. And then by constantly using your faith in life, the life of Christ will release deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Look at this. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences. Oh my God. The great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and, and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement. What? Beyond measurement. It cannot be measured, church. Bill Johnson said the goodness of God cannot be over-exaggerated. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Y'all, that's good news. What Paul is describing, God's love is immeasurable and it passes all of your understanding. You do not understand how in the world can a God at the end of the day when I have told, when I've told everything, is going to give you the same wage as he's going to give me. My mind can't compute that. My mind cannot compute how do you take a son that has blown his inheritance, tore down our name, Brought harlots on up in our house. 
and yet you go kill the fatted calf for him and deny me of what's my right. Can't understand that. And the religious mind is offended at that. And the religious will stand like a lawyer and say you're so undeserving of that. You know, our family got a boat and when our approach was to getting this boat, we've had, we had those that asked me, some people said, well, how long are you going to keep the boat, John? You know, the, the best day of owning a boat is the day you bought it and the day you sold it. <laughs> but before we ever got it, I went to God for half a day just to ask him if I could have it. Man, that's crazy. How we see him. It's crazy. He never, I don't know if I'm doing it justice, church. But all I'm telling you, all he ever wants is you. He don't want your stuff. He don't want your tithe. He don't want your Bible reading. All he wants is you. When you speak to him, all of heaven comes in attention. The Bible says, and let me just put it in biblical language. The psalmist is caught up in this moment in Psalms 8. And he says, when I consider the works of thy hands, and I look at the angels, and I see everything that you got, he says, what is man? What is that that you are so mindful of him? Look at all that you have. Look at the splendor of the heavens. Look at the cherubims and the seraphims. Look at all that you have. And what is man that thou art so mindful of him? For you have crowned him with glory, honor, and splendor, and you have made him a little lower. The Bible says in the King James Angels, that is a very poor translation because the actual Hebrew reads little lower than Elohim. The psalmist says, when I look at you, and I see everything, but when I look at the earth, that thing on the earth, man, that thou art so mindful, looks just like you because we're created in his image. I'm done, church. I want to finish with this. If I could... To, to drive my case if I was a lawyer or the last words I would leave you is I'd leave you with this little story. Don't look at the front of my books because you'll be, I can't have you gleaning in the same places. I got to be a step above you. I don't say this, I just, I don't say this arrogantly. I say it with great confidence. I don't mind you getting any of my books but I challenge you to stay up with me in the reading. There's only one, Terry. Now, he can hang with me now. Terry burned the midnight oil reading. He is. That's why I, I, I buy him so many books. Or I bought him a few. Let's say it like that. But I'll be forever indebted the day that you come to my house with that book. You'll never know how that's, that one book of Brennan Manning's book, Ruthless Trust, has changed my life. Church, God's good. And I don't want to say that just as some religious cliche. Well, God is good all the time. 
and we live like hell and live in like a long distant relationship, you don't know that God is good. When you know that God is good, you can proudly display your stuff and know that you're not doing it arrogantly. You're just trying to display the wisdom of God and the goodness of God on your life. With me? Let me, let me, let me finish with this. Y'all right? I hope you can handle me by not hollering also too. You can take the crime, preacher, can't you? All right. Shortly after I was ordained, I took a graduate course at a university in Pittsburgh. The, pro- the professor was an old Dutchman who told me the following story. I am one of 13 children. One day when I was playing in the street of our hometown in Holland, I got thirsty and came into the pantry of our house for a glass of water. It was around noon, and my father had just come home from work to have lunch. He was sitting at the kitchen table having a glass of beer with a neighbor. A door separated the kitchen from the pantry, and my father didn't know I was there. The neighbor said to my father, Joe, there's something I've wanted to ask you for a long time. But if it's too personal, just forget I ever asked. What is your question? Well, you have 13 children. Out of all of them, is there one that is your favorite? One you love more than all the others. The priest continued his story. I had my ear pressed against the door, hoping against hope it would be me. That's easy, my father said. Sure, there's one I love more than all the others. That's Mary, the 12-year-old. She just got braces on her teeth and feels so awkward and embarrassed that she won't go out of the house. I lost my place there. Um, She won't go out of the house anymore. Oh, but you asked my favorite. That's my 23-year-old Peter. His fiance just broke their engagement and he is desolate. But the one I really love the most is little Michael. He's totally uncoordinated and terrible in any and terrible in any sport he tries to play. The other kids on the street make fun of him, but of course the apple of my eye is Susan, only 24 living in her own apartment and developing a drinking problem. I cry for Susan. But I guess of all the kids and my father went on mentioning each of his 13 children by name. The professor echoed his story saying, what I learned was that the one my father loved the most was the one who needed him most at the time. Man, that's so good. And that's the way the father of Jesus is. He loves those most who need him most, who rely on him and depend upon him and trust in him in everything. Little he cares whether you've been as pure as St. John or as sinful as Mary Magdalene. All that matters is trust. You know who the one is his favorite this morning? The one who needs him. If that ain't good news, church, I, I can't preach a better sermon. All he's looking for is divine trust in his goodness. I think, man, as I look back and I have the privilege of seeing over the last seven, eight years I've been here, however how long it's been, since 2013. Some some days it seems like I've been here 40 years, other days it seems like I've been here too. 
but I've seen amazing victories, but I've also had to walk through some defeats. But in all, I've seen the goodness of God help us get through everything. And church, I want to say this. If God has been faithful to us over the last seven and a half, surely he'll be faithful to us in the next seven and a half. And all I know is this. I believe the Lord is gradually pulling down some things. Let me just say this before I leave. I love the revival atmosphere. And I am a revival preacher. But the one thing that I'm contending with to deal with this is how do you press for more but you celebrate what's available? Because I'm telling you this, I believe the church is not even beginning to tap into what is available, friend. And we're crying out for something over the hills over there when there is so much available right now. And what has happened really in the past year, and it's taken me, I've had to go through a lot of hell. I've had to fight my own fears of losing family members, almost losing my sister, and that voice of fear rising up saying you're the next one. Oh man, I'm just being honest where I live because people sometimes think the preacher he's without any problems oh he's just he's just so blessed and highly favored you know we went fishing yesterday and burnt the transmission up in our truck we barely made it home but we got home by the grace of God you know what I'm saying we rode in on first gear I don't got no reverse in my truck but that can all be fixed and God will provide for it you with me I was I was I was refusing I you sometimes you just gotta laugh I refuse to let the devil steal from me the day that I had. But all those what if questions. What if questions. So I took my oldest son and I took him down. If this happens, this is you do this, this, and this. But then I turned around and said, I'm going to be here for forever one thing I leave this place with knowing that I got tremendous destiny over my life and what gave me that destiny is the finished work of Jesus on the cross and just cause I hold a microphone don't mean I got no greater destiny than you and I'm just telling you how easy it is and this is what I told Catherine last night there was two weeks ago. Y'all, I've preached a pile of messages, okay? I, I mean, I'm not dumb. I know when we hit. I know when I connect on one and it flies. The two weeks ago, lightning flying in this place, the impartation of the gospel going forth in this room, unbelievable. And so Catherine asked me last night, she said, what are you going to preach on? I said, I got a bunch of thoughts I don't know, but I'll get them together. And I said, but it's probably not going to be as good as it was two weeks ago. I said, but you know what? It'll be fine. As long as I obey the Lord, that's all I care about, friend. You can't live from the praises of people. Come on, if you live by the praises of men, you'll die by the criticisms of men. At the end of the day, if God's pleased with us, what does it matter? Come on, somebody. I said, at the end of the day, what does it matter? If God's if God be pleased, that's the one that I'm working for, friend. I'm not working for the elders, and I'm not working for nobody in this room. I'm just simply working for, I'm just simply living, not working, living for the Lord. And what I desire most is to teach you what is fresh on my heart and this is where I've been at with the Lord and if this is where God's got me at as the as the as the man in the crow's nest of this church guess what he wants to do in your life he wants to overshadow you with his tenderness and goodness you know what God's wanting to do this week he wants to he wants to um, to tear down
down some false images you have in your life about who he really is. He wants to show you that he's the extravagant God of Matthew chapter 20 that he gives to people that you don't even think deserve it. Come on somebody. And the person that you don't think deserve it is not the neighbor down the street. It's you friend. Come on somebody. He wants you to fall in love with you so that fall in love with him and fall in love with yourself so that you can love other people. He's just that good church. This year is so, I'm I'm done, but I just got to, this year is so challenging for the teacher. For the teachers, like especially like in areas where we had some have already been advanced in the into the technology, but other schools have not been advanced in the technologies. And you know what? And Catherine's come home and she's got all these fears because we always fear the unknown. And all this, and I said, you know what? I said, the same God that helped you in 2019 and 2020 school year is the same God that's going to get you through this school year. You with me now? Everything is going to pan out. I'm telling you, all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called into His purpose. Church, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through COVID-19. We're going to come together as a country. We're going to see a massive move of God in this nation. Come on. And we're going to see our community transformed by the goodness of God. I believe it with all my heart. Do you believe that? Stand up on your feet and we're going to pray over you. I'm going to ask Pastor Stanton Moore to come close this out. He loves it. And um, aren't you so glad and thankful for him? All right. You know, when I talk about before we take it off, I'm just share this right here. We talk about being a blessing so we can be a blessing. I was somewhere this weekend that, um, anyhow, we were looking at a grill. It's a massive grill. And I mean, it's outlined on the outside with cedar. I mean, it's bad to the bone. It's a bad to the bone smoker. And so, it's, it was at another ministry or whatever. I mean, y'all, we just family up here. Let's just say it's Pastor Asher down. Seabree did the grill. Whatever. So he's, you need, y'all need a grill down there. But we don't, we do need a grill, but we don't need a grill. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got no shoulder to put a grill on there. So I said, how much, how much are you trying to look at? I said, listen here. We'll buy the grill, but you keep the grill. And how will that work? Y'all, that's just tremendous. You know what that small gift does to him is it just takes a tremendous amount. So let me just say this to you right here about the tithe. When the Bible says that we tithe so that they may be meat in my house, you know what that word meat means? Freshly torn prey. Terry, help me out. Am I telling the truth in here? It means freshly torn prey. You know that that's why God wants us to tithe so that the leadership doesn't have to worry about finances so that they can gather the freshly torn prey. Do you know that what you're eating on Sundays is freshly torn prey? You get freshly torn prey when you talk, when you tune into that podcast on Wednesday night, whether it's Stanton, whether it's Matt, whoever it is, you're getting the freshly torn prey. And so the reason why I did, I bought a grill, but we gave the grill back. I don't know how that even works, but anyhow, we're not getting the grill, but we bought a grill. But what it does is it just takes that little bit of pressure off that they may be freshly torn prey in that house and that's what I want and this means more to me than a grill. Are you with me now? 
So I pray, I pray that God abundantly bless you. That God abundantly bless you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I speak peace over your house. In the name of the Lord, may God open your eyes to his tenderness. May he set his love upon you and you be aware of it in the name of the Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, God bless you, church. We hope you enjoyed our message of the week. Thanks for joining us. Our passion at Cornerstone is our family atmosphere built on deep relationships. We want to connect with you. Please take a moment and download our app and connect with us on social media to stay updated with all things Cornerstone. We pray you have a wonderful week.